Living Hope is a church striving to become a 21st century apostolic church. We are founded upon the belief that the Bible is the inspired, infallible Word of God. We believe in the Great Commission, and we are endeavoring to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with love, mercy, and truth. Listen in as we share the Word, and that, through Jesus Christ, hope is alive. Matthew chapter 28, beginning at the first verse. The Bible says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, toward the day of the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow, and for fear of him, The keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord did lay. Revelation chapter 1, verse 16. Amen. Revelation chapter 1, verse number 16. And he, the Almighty had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. When I saw him, John the Revelator writes, I fell at his feet as dead. He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first, and I am the last. I was here before the crisis, and I will be there when the crisis is past. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and was dead. The only person who can say, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated in your living rooms. Thank you for standing in reverence to the Word of God. Amen. I want to preach for a little bit today on the theme of this Easter Sunday. Amen. And that being the theme of undefeated. Amen. I'm thankful today that I serve an undefeated Savior. I'm thankful today that I serve a God who is undefeated. The gods of this world cannot declare the same. Amen. Some worship the God of the economy. We're finding right now that the God of the economy can indeed be defeated. Some worship at the God of education. And we find that the gods of education have and will be defeated. But I'm thankful today that I serve a God that is undefeated, amen? And because I am in Christ, amen, I am undefeated. Not because I've overcome everything that I've ever faced, but because I am in Christ, I am undefeated, amen? That no weapon formed against me will prosper. I am an overcomer. In fact, the Bible says that we are not just conquerors, but we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, amen? I want to challenge us today to get a hold of the promises of God. If God's promises only apply when the sun is shining and when everything is going the way that you plan for it to go, then do you really need those promises at all? Amen. But I'm thankful in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the darkness of the night, when it doesn't look like anything is going my way, the promises of God are still sure. Amen. So I want to challenge somebody, get a hold of the promises of God. I heard the story recently 
speaking of getting a hold of the promises of God of a uh, teenage uh, high school, uh, a young boy that attended a very small high school. That school was so small they didn't even have a wrestling program. But he began to read books on wrestling. He was just a scrawny kid, didn't have much muscle, uh, had never really been involved in any kind of a physical sport of that nature. But he began to read books on wrestling. And so he went to one of the assistant football coaches and asked the coach, would, would you consider entering me into some wrestling matches here in the region? And so the coach agreed that he would help the kid. And so uh, this little man who was very scrawny and not very skillful, but he had one quality, and that is that he, was, he would never give up. That no matter how bad the match got, no matter how much an advantage the man he was up against would gain on him, he would not give up. And so he began to be entered into these wrestling matches, and every single match he won. In spite of the fact that he was outmatched, in spite of the fact that his opponent had more experience, in spite of all of that, he just continued to win match after match after match because he wouldn't let go. By the end of the season, the young scrawny wrestler was undefeated and made it all the way to the state finals for his weight class. And there in the state finals, he came up against a bona fide wrestler, two-time, state, two-time defending state champion. And as the scrawny kid be- began to wrestle there and square up against that state champion, the, 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 the bona fide wrestler, the experienced wrestler, the state champion made just a couple of quick moves and soon had the scrawny kid pinned on his back and, and laying there with not much of an option of what to do. The coach knew that the match was over, couldn't bear to watch as the scrawny kid was wrestled into defeat and so he turned his head away just waiting for the referee to announce the match was over. When all of a sudden he heard the roar of a crowd and when he turned around, the scrawny kid was on top of the state champion pinning him and he had won the match. The little guy got up and bounced across the mat to where the coach was declaring, Coach, I won, I won, can you believe it? And the coach was stunned, could not believe it. The coach said, I I guess that you won, but I missed how it happened. See, I turned away because I knew that you were about to lose. What happened? Kid said, Coach, that guy was good. He's better than anybody I've ever wrestled before. Coach, he had me twisted like a pretzel on the mat. But you know what, Coach? I never gave up. I decided I would never quit. I refused to give up. So I opened my eyes while I was bent there like a pretzel. And while the other wrestler had me in submission, I opened my eye, and right there in front of my face was a big toe. And I don't know, Coach, if it's against the rules or not, but I bit into that big toe with everything that I had, Coach. I, I, had, I bit into that toe with all the strength I had in me. And, Coach, it's amazing what you can do when you bite your own toe off. He bit right into his own toe, and it propelled him to win the victory. Listen, if you're ever tempted to give up on God, just remember that little wrestler. Just remember, He didn't really bite his toe off, all right? He just bit into his toe. I think I might have ruined the... The punchline there. But it's amazing what happens to somebody who makes up in their mind that they're not going to give up. It's amazing what can happen in the life of somebody that no matter how bad it gets, they just make up in their mind, amen, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up. Amen, I'm going to get a hold of the promises of God. Amen, I'm going to get a hold.
hold of what God promised me, and I will not let go no matter how bad it gets. Amen. Undefeated. The highest achievement of athletic competition is the crown of being undefeated. Yes, to win the championship is undoubtedly rewarding, and the goal of every team entering into their season of competition is to win the championship. But beyond just winning the championship, to be able to boast of an unblemished and untarnished record rises above even the heights of taking the title. And yet, in all of the major professional sporting leagues within the United States, there is truly one, only one league in which the title of being undefeated is really even a realistic possibility. For within the Major League Baseball League, there is a, they play 162 games in their regular season, making it mathematically impossible that ever a team will go undefeated. In the National Basketball Association, while not as lengthy of a season, yet still spanning 82 games, it is still virtually impossible that a team will ever go undefeated. However, it is in the National Football League competing over a season that spans only 16 games and then an additional three in the playoffs that this is the only league where the, the pursuit of an undefeated season is really even possible. In the 100-year history of the NFL, only four teams have ever lasted the gauntlet of a grueling season, still able to boast at the end of the season that they are indeed undefeated. However, out of those four teams, next to their record in the history books, where it declares their record as being untarnished and unblemished, Next to that, there is an asterisk. Having your name and an asterisk next to it in professional sporting is never a good thing. As a professional athlete, an asterisk next to your name and next to your accomplishments is stating that whatever good you may have achieved is likely undermined by some negative occurrence that would stain and mar the record of your accomplishment. It's like saying that, yes, they accomplished great things, but. Yes, they won a lot of games, but. Yes, they were the best at what they did, but it was because of this. For example, next to the home run record of 762 home runs in a career held by the slugger Barry Bonds, there is an asterisk in the history books. That is because it was found out late in his career that Barry Bonds had been taking steroids, helping him to reach that record. So yes, he hit a record number of, of home runs, but there was a tainted reason in his record. Or the competitive cyclist Lance Armstrong, who won a record seven years the Tour de France in a row, but later on they found out he was had been using performance-enhancing drugs, and so... While the record of seven wins in that, uh, that prestigious race was indeed historic, there is an asterisk next to his name. And of those four 
football teams that finish the regular season undefeated, uh, that while the record books do indeed herald them as being undefeated, three of them, there is an asterisk. Why? Because while they finished the regular season undefeated, uh, they lost in the playoffs. uh, And there was only one team, side note, the 1972 Miami Dolphins uh, not only were undefeated in the regular season, but also undefeated in the playoffs. Uh, And so it is in Matthew uh, that as the writer Matthew begins to write in the first verses of Matthew chapter number 28, he tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary enter into the garden where the borrowed tomb of Joseph is there where Jesus' body has been placed. But the Bible tells us that their eyes are not on Jesus. Rather, their eyes are fixed upon, if you would, the asterisk. Because Matthew 28 verse 1 tells us that they came not to see Jesus, but they came to see the sepulcher. Amen. This great man that had walked among them, this great man that had healed lepers, opened blind eyes, and made the lame to walk, this great man that had raised the dead, confronted Pharisees, and befriended sinners, this man that had declared himself to be the I am, the light of the world, the resurrection, and the life. Amen. The way, the truth, and the life, and yet this great man who had done such wonderful and amazing things had turned water into wine. Yet Matthew tells us that when they came to see the place where the body of Jesus had been placed, they came not to see the healer. They came not to see the deliverer. They came not to see the rabbi or the master. No, they didn't come to see Jesus. They came to see the sepulcher. They came to see the asterisk. They came to see this one who had been heralded as undefeated, and yet now they came to see the tomb in which his body lay. To much of humanity, the grave is an asterisk on the resume of a good man. To much of humanity, the sepulcher in which the body of Jesus was laid is an asterisk on the resume of an otherwise great man. The asterisk next to the list of accomplishments of a great prophet and a wise teacher. I come on this Easter Sunday morning to tell somebody, amen, what you see is what you get. Amen. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, the Bible says they came to see a sepulcher. And the account of the same story of the gospel of John chapter 20 tells us that when they came to see the sepulcher, they began to weep and they began to mourn because what you see is what you get. Amen. When they came to see the cruel reminder of the suffering of Jesus, it produced mourning in their world. When they came to see the fortified tomb reminding them of the death of the rabbi, it produced weeping in their lives. And what you see is what you get. And for far too many today, that is what religion is. It is an asterisk. It is an empty sepulcher. It is an empty, lifeless, hopeless place that maybe we should attend once a year so that we can give homage to the price that Jesus paid at Calvary. To many, the sepulcher, to many, the, 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 the relationship with God is nothing but a, a lifeless religious institution that we visit once or twice a year but doesn't really produce any hope in our our lives. To many, the tomb is little more than an asterisk that is tagged onto an otherwise inspiring story, but it doesn't have much meaning or much worth in our lives. What you see is what you get. 
This is what Paul is addressing when he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth. He says, we preach Christ crucified. Amen. Paul says to the church, we're not glossing over the crucifixion. He says to the church, we're not avoiding the crucifixion. We're not stepping around the fact that our Savior suffered. Uh, we're not stepping around the fact that our Savior bled. Uh, we're not stepping around the fact that our Savior died and was placed in a tomb. Uh, Paul said, no, we're not bypassing that fact. Uh, we do preach Christ crucified. Can I tell you today, I'm not here today to promote to you a Savior that never suffered. I'm not here to promote to you a Savior that never bled. I'm not here today to promote to you a Savior that never died. We do preach Christ crucified. And Paul says that the fact that we preach crucified Christ is a stumbling block to the Jews. And it is foolishness unto the Greeks crucified Jesus. The Jews, even to this day, many cannot get over. They can't accept Jesus as Messiah because their idea of Messiah was a king who would come to establish an invincible government with military might and power, that this great Messiah would not be wounded, that this great Messiah would have authority and power. There's no way that our Messiah would ever be laid in a tomb. There's no way that our Messiah would ever be placed on a cross. There's no way that our Messiah would ever bear stripes upon his back. There's no way that our Messiah would do that. And so to the Jew. The grave is an asterisk on the name of Jesus. To the Greeks, it's foolishness. The message of a crucified Christ is foolishness. The gods of the Greeks were untouchables and invincible gods like Zeus, Apollo, and Poseidon. They worshiped gods that humanity could never attain to. They worshiped gods that humanity could never relate to. They worshiped gods that humanity could never touch. Gods who would never be pierced. Gods who would never be wounded. And so there is no way that a Greek philosopher or a believer in Greek theology could ever have worshiped Jesus. Why? Because they could not accept a suffering Savior. They could not accept a Savior that would be pierced by nails and run through a spear. But what you see is is what you get. Amen. What you see is what you get. And if you came to see a sepulcher, then you will leave weeping. If you came to see an empty shell that can do nothing for you, then you will watch this service and you will go back to your empty lives. But I come to tell you, Mary might have come. The two Marys might have come to see a sepulcher. But when they got there, they saw something else. When they got there, they saw something different. They may have come to see a sepulcher. But the Bible says that when they got there, the angel of the Lord appeared unto them and said, I know you came seeking a Savior, laying in a sepulcher, but he is not here. He is risen. Come on, somebody, you, what you see is what you get. If Jesus is just emptiness in your life, then you will, be, will produce weeping in your world. But if you can see a risen Savior, if you can see a victorious King, hallelujah. I've come today to proclaim to you that Jesus is not in the sepulcher. If you join this online broadcast, 
to pay your respects to crucified Jesus. If you came today to pay your respects to religious tradition, I appreciate your respect. And I am sure that Jesus honors your condolences. But I've come to give you news today that Jesus is not in the sepulcher. Amen. Jesus is not in the emptiness of religious tradition. Amen. We're not here today to lament a powerless Savior. Amen. I've come to tell you that the empty tomb is not an asterisk on the life of Jesus. The empty tomb is not a footnote that somehow undermines our claim that Jesus is a victorious Savior. What you see is what you get. If what you see today is an asterisk, if what you came to see today is a hopeless religious tradition, if what you came to see today was a cute story that has no impact on your life, then that is what you will get. But something shifted in the life of Mary Magdalene and that other Mary. Because when they came to that sepulcher, they saw something different. The angel of the Lord appeared unto them and said, Jesus is not in the sepulcher. Amen. I know you came today and that sepulcher was a disappointment to you. It was an asterisk on the end of an undefeated record. But that's not what the empty tomb signifies. It's not a note that the Savior has failed. It's a note that the Savior went down to death and he went down to hell and he went down to grave the grave and he took the keys of death and hell and he came back out of the grave it's not an asterisk it's the greatest news that you've ever been told and when the angel of the Lord told them that Jesus was risen, their weeping became worship, their mourning became joy, their lamentation became good news. I've come today to tell somebody there's good news. The sepulcher is not an asterisk. It's an underline. It's a bold face. Amen. He is undefeated. Hallelujah. Some, like the Jews and the Greeks, would look at the cross, the nails, the blood, the suffering, the pain, the death, the burial, and they would wonder, how can you declare Jesus undefeated? How can you declare Jesus undefeated? Amen, that doesn't, it looks to me like Calvary was defeat. Anybody that could go through that, anybody who took those stripes on their back, one of the prophets said that the beating Jesus took left him so marred that you couldn't even tell that he was a human being. Amen. How can you say he wasn't defeated? Well, in order for us to declare Jesus undefeated, I want to tell you exactly what we mean by undefeated because in the dictionary, there are two definitions of the prefix un that we put before the word defeated. With defeated obviously means loss. The first definition of the prefix un means not. Freely, it is used as an English formative giving negative or opposing force to the word coming after it. In other words, when I put that word, that prefix un in front of something, it simply means it's not. It's opposing that. To be unfair means it's not fair. To be unjust means it's not just. That's the first prefix. And in that sense, I don't know that we can honestly say that Jesus was not defeated because to say that he did not die would be false. He did. He was in the tomb for three days. He did suffer death. But that's not the only prefix. There is a second prefix in the English dictionary to form, and this one is used to form verbs expressing a reversal of some action state 
or the removal, the deprivation or the release. It's undoing something. In other words, to unbend, to take something that was bent and make it straight again. Uh, to unfasten, to take something that was fastened uh, and to make it loose again. Uh, and in that sense, I want to tell you, uh, Jesus did not come to not die. He did. In fact, the Bible says that he is the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. He did not come to not die. Uh, he did not come to not suffer. Uh, he did not come to not enter into the grave. Uh, and if that is your definition, Definition of undefeated, then you may be right because Jesus did suffer, he did bleed, and he did die, he was buried. But his undefeated was not just him avoiding death, it was him undoing death, it was not him avoiding suffering, it was him undoing suffering, it was not him avoiding hell, it was undoing the power of hell. Come on, somebody in your living room right now, I want you to know we serve an undefeated Savior. Uh, come on, he came to take away the power of death, uh, hell, and the grave. Uh, he did not circumvent death. Uh, he took away the power of death. Uh, come on, in the name of Jesus, uh, what a mighty God we serve. The grave is not an asterisk. The cross is not an asterisk. The Jew may look at the cross and say, I can't, that, that is a stumbling block. I, I can't serve a defeated. Say, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong. That is not a signal of his defeat. It's a signal of his undefeat. He took the cross and turned it into something beautiful. The Greek may look at the grave and I say, I couldn't serve a God who could be laid in the grave, but you got it wrong. He wasn't just laid in the grave. He went to the grave and he overcame the grave so that you might have victory. Come on, he wasn't just undefeated, he undid defeat. Somebody right now, listen to this broadcast. You may feel like you're defeated, but I present to you an undefeated Savior. He came to undo your addiction. He came to undo your pain. He came to undo your guilt. He came to undo your shame. He came to undo your defeat. He is undefeated, and there is no asterisk next to the name of Jesus. Come on, I wonder right there in your living room, could you lay your hand on the shoulder of your neighbor? Could you pray one for another? Come on, what a mighty God we serve. Come on, the, the Jesus that we serve. Come on, I know they came looking at that sepulcher, but they left rejoicing seeing Jesus. Today you might have tuned into this broadcast to view just another religious tradition, but I pray when you leave here you're rejoicing because you found a risen Savior who came with the power to undo what has you defeated. Close with... One final illustration in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, Max Lucado shares the story of a missionary in Brazil who discovered a tribe of Indians in a remote part of the jungle. They lived near a large river. This tribe was being impacted, oddly enough, by a ravaging disease that was being spread from one to the next. People were dying daily at an incredible rate. There was a hospital not far away, in fact, just across the river with the remedy for what they were facing. But the Indians would not cross the river because they believed the river to be inhabited by evil spirits and to enter into the water meant certain death. The missionary explained to them, I came across that river and I was not harmed, but they were not impressed. So then he took them to the bank of the river and placed his hand in the water 
and touched the waters, and yet they still would not go in. And so finally, he moved and walked into the water up to his waist and splashed water on his face trying to convince them, follow me across the river, but still they would not move. They were afraid to enter into the water. Finally, that missionary dove into the water, swam beneath the surface, and emerged safely on the other side. He raised his fist in the air and declared that the water was safe and it had that the evil had been defeated. The Indians broke into a cheer, and they dove into the water after him and came safe on the other side. Can I tell you that is what Jesus did when he went into the grave? Amen. I know that you may have trepidation in your spirit about what you're going through right now, but I want to tell you Jesus is undefeated he undid what you're going through he undid what you're facing he undid the sting of death and the grave so I want to encourage someone today it's Easter Sunday please don't minimize today about being empty religious tradition don't just make this another Easter Sunday where you observe Jesus from afar but find it to be empty and powerless No, somebody today, you need to know that Jesus suffered so that you could be set free. Jesus bled so that the weight of your sin could be undone. Jesus endured death so that you could have life. Can we raise our hands together right now? Lord, I thank you that you are an undefeated Savior. Thank you, Lord, that you are undefeated. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without really knowing the exact path it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. So be sure to subscribe and watch us on Facebook Live every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And also visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you. I'm gonna wait on